Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. All right, good morning, Crossroads. Uh, welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration uh, where we love celebrating Jesus, even during a pandemic. Um, really pray that everyone is doing okay and that uh, no one is sick. And if you are, we want to pray for you. Uh, and we want everyone to join us in praying uh, overall. But let me share couple of announcements with you because yes, even during a national pandemic, we have announcements. That's, that's what we do as the church. So first and foremost, um, we have drive-in church coming up again. Uh, if you missed it the last time, we'll be doing it again, same place, at the Floreff Fire Hall in Jefferson Hills. And it's open to anyone. Everyone is welcome to join us. The only thing that we ask is that everyone stay in their cars. Hey, good morning to everybody, Judy, Bobby, uh, Robert. Uh, we ask that everyone stay in their cars. That's kind of crucial. Um, uh, the police and, and all the other people have said, yeah, we can do this as long as everyone stays in their cars. So we're going to do it again. Hopefully we won't need to do it too many more times because we're praying that uh, we're all out of this whole situation soon and that this uh, pandemic is over. But in addition to our drive-in church, which is gonna be next Sunday, Floreff Fire Hall, 11.07 a.m., uh, we also have prayer that we're doing Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night at 7.07 p.m. Uh, we do that online. Uh, some of them are live, they're live streamed. Some of them are pre-recorded because we're going to local businesses and congregations and asking you to join us in praying for those businesses, praying for those family members, praying for those congregations that support and minister uh, to the community. Uh, and we uh, live stream those or we, uh, the recorded ones we put online at uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 7.07 p.m. And in addition to that, we uh, have a Bible study that we do, video chat-based Bible study, that is every Monday, excuse me, every Tuesday at 7.07 p.m. It's led by Mark Berkshire. Um, he does that, he leads it, uh, and we are going to be prayerfully, if I can get all the kinks worked out, starting up a video chat-based uh, women's group, because the women's ministry used to meet, and then they all of a sudden stopped meeting, and now we're praying that they all, um, can meet again, uh, and granted, everybody may not want to do it, but for those who do, we'll have details on that coming out in a few weeks. And I think that is all of the announcements. So welcome to our Sunday celebration, where apparently we really love to live stream. That's the way of the world right now. So I, I want to pray, uh, and then I want to get started with our Sunday celebration. So uh, good morning, Sharon, Larry, how are you guys doing? And my wife says she was on time this time. That's awesome. Okay, so God, we, we are grateful uh, that we get the opportunity to gather, even if we can't be together in person, uh, but in our homes with our family members, we can gather and lift you up and celebrate and rejoice in you this morning. Uh, and we pray 
that as this pandemic gets under control, that we don't forget the lessons that we have learned, the people who have stepped up to be there for one another, and we don't forget how you, Lord, continue to provide for your people. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen, amen, amen. Um, Really quick also, I want to share, if you have a need, a prayer need, or a need at all, we need such and such, we need whatever, um, share that in the comments, and, and, and hopefully we'll see if people can be there for one another and help meet needs. If you have a prayer request and you want to submit it anonymously, just message it to me, and I'll share that um, without your name on it, asking for, for prayer. But we definitely want to also be in prayer for one another. Uh, before I continue, I also want to say this, because although, even though we're live streaming this, although we're walking through books of the Bible, and I'm trying to make sure I don't miss anyone's comments. Uh, okay, even though we're walking through books of the Bible, some people may feel like, oh, well, let me tune out, because you guys are halfway through this book or that book, and I haven't been a part. Don't tune out, because the way that we structure uh, these sermons and these messages is so that everyone can walk away being equipped. If you're a Christ follower, our goal is that you walk away equipped to be the church from this message, even hopefully it builds on other ones. Uh, if you're an unbeliever, then the hope is that, that you look and say, hmm, well, even though they're in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, which is where we're going to be, uh, you walk away and say, hey, from this message, I've gotten some information that may help you make a decision to maybe consider that this God is real and making uh, him Lord of your life. So uh, don't feel challenged or threatened by the fact that we're walking through books of the Bible. I hope that's an encouragement to you. <clears throat> and the reason we're walking through this book is because Paul wrote this letter specifically, and we started it before the, before the pandemic, uh, specifically to encourage Christ followers to be the church, right? To deal with a lot of issues that they were dealing with. So he started off talking about unity, right? Uh, unity in the church uh, for them to be of one mind, right? That they need to be, uh, he starts his letter, he says, hi, I'm Paul, I miss you, I love you, I pray that you would be united, right? And that's one of the things that is applicable, it's relevant now. God wants the church to be united. Uh, denominational walls come down, um, uh, you know, silos in, between churches in the same community, but don't do anything together, come down, because the church needs to be united now. We're all in the exact same situation, going through a pandemic, sitting at home. But then he talks to them about wisdom, right? And he says that, um, first of all, we all have knowledge, and he says this, knowledge is what we know. Wisdom is how we apply it. And what he says is, hey, human knowledge, that's great. Godly knowledge and wisdom is better. Because if I have human knowledge and I apply it, my human wisdom, that's great. But godly wisdom is taking God's knowledge, not things I know, things that God knows, and applying it. Which is why Solomon, one of the examples that we talked about a few weeks ago, was so great and so uh, renowned and, and did so many things. Uh, he knew about zoology. He knew about financials. He knew about uh, infrastructure. He knew about government. He knew about plants and fish and animals, all this kind of stuff, because he wasn't going on his own knowledge, right? He had God's wisdom, so God gave him the knowledge, and God showed him the wisdom and how to apply it. And so that's one of the things that Paul talks about for the church. And then he talks about, and this is a topic where a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to talk about it. He talks about morality, right? He says, if you're a Christian, 
then you need to have Christ-like moral values. And again, he's writing to the church. Now, if there's someone who says, well, I don't want anything to do with Christian morals or Christian values, that's great. That's fine. You don't have to. But for the people who say, I'm a Christ follower, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, Paul says, if you're going, if you're going to be the church, then be the church, right? Your, your, your morals, your values within marriage uh, regarding sexuality or coitus, because I don't know if you have kids in the room, they need to be in line with God's moral values if you are going to call yourself a Christ follower. And then last week we talked a little bit about diversity, uh, not just you know, racial and political differences, cultural differences, uh, but he talked about all the different ways that we have in worship. And he used an example, some people, hey, you know, I can't eat this food because it was sacrificed to an idol. And Paul said specifically, if you're, you know, depending on your spiritual level of maturity, you may know that food is just food, okay? But the way that you perceive things, uh, you need to do them in a way that doesn't cause your brother to stumble. Our differences should not be a stumbling block in worshiping God and serving one another. And a lot of the things Paul focused on were issues that they raised. He was responding to questions that they had about doing life together and following Christ together and living the Christian life. So uh, let me ask this. How many people have ever asked a question, right, and had your question end up in a sermon, right? You ask your pastor a question, uh, hey, pastor, I want to know about this, and then that question ends up in a sermon. If it has, just put yes in the comments, because I'm sure that has happened to some people. Um, don't answer if I'm the one that did it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But here, here, here's the reality. What happens is someone says, I'm dealing with such and such. Pastor, I have a question. Or maybe after the Sunday celebration, they say, I have a question. And so you raise this question, and then the pastor says, hey, that's a really good question. And they either just give you a tidbit or they answer you or sometimes they don't answer you if you email them or text them but then in a sermon they address that topic and it's not that they're trying to blow you up and make your stuff public it's that they're looking and saying well if you have this question it's a really good question so do they and they probably have it and they probably have it and so they answer it in a sermon and that's kind of what Paul was doing uh, when his letters and I've said this before when you read some of the Bible some of the New Testament letters uh, they read like, you know, jumping from topic to topic to topic, and it's because Paul is answering their questions, right? Questions they had about life, questions they had about uh, the Bible. And, and we have, these are the same questions that people have today. Um, and again, just put, uh, hey, Debbie, I am so glad that you could join us. Um, and Bonnie and Judy all <laughs> said, yes, they had questions. Okay, yeah, sorry about that. But it happens, right? We're, we're, the pastor's thinking is, oh, that's a great question, let me try to answer that for everybody because other people probably have the same question. Uh, and, and that's why, and you look in the Bible, you'll see, oh, I'm reading in this book and I saw this topic. You switch to another book, the topic again, switch to another book, the topic again. It's because the people in Corinth and Ephesus and throughout Galatia all had the same question and Paul's addressing it, right? And they had the same type of questions that we have. Uh, so just put yes again, answer yes. If you ever had questions about the Bible, how do I interpret this particular passage? Lots of people have those kind of questions. Actually, those kind of questions are what caused a lot of the denominations that we have today. Uh, some people, and again, you don't have to put yes in the comments, but most people will relate to, uh, I have questions about how do I live my life 
in regards to yada, yada, yada. So I've come across this thing at work, pastor, how do I deal with that? I've come across dealing with this situation with a friend or a foe or whatever, how do I deal with that? Or just, and this is a common question, Christians ask it, uh, it, it's really prevalent today, is or are certain aspects of the Bible actually relevant? Do they apply to us? And this is where understanding how to interpret certain passages comes into play, right? Because many Christians ask this, and the, the conversation right now that a lot of people are having are, um, is the Old Testament relevant? How many people have heard that, that question asked? Is the Old Testament relevant? Um, and, and here's the answer, big broad answer, before we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here's the big broad answer. It is, here's why, because the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead mean absolutely nothing without the understanding of the Old Testament principles of sin and atonement. They mean this resurrection of Jesus Christ means nothing, great parlor trick, unless it applies to the Old Testament principle of atonement and sin, right? Otherwise, it means absolutely nothing. Great means nothing. The only reason why it applies and has meaning and bearing is because of the Old Testament foundation. I know people are going to say, you just said resurrection meant nothing. That's not the way I meant to do it. So here's, here's what I'd like to do. Uh, hey, uh, Antoinette, uh, glad you're joining us. Taylor, glad you're joining us. Stacy, glad you're joining us. Uh, so here's what I'd like to do, and, and, and we're going to be done in plenty of time, hopefully. Uh, because I want to I first address what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and then I want to try to answer if you have questions. And, and here's the thing, don't, don't write them in the comments yet, um, but it, there are people who say, yeah, I've always, think of the question, um, here's the question I have always wanted to know about the Bible, or about this book of the Bible, or about this verse. Now, first, let me say this, this isn't stump the pastor, because I do not know anything, I'm not a theologian. Uh, I'm just a pastor uh, who loves God, and, and yeah, I know a little bit about the word. And if we get too many questions, then I'll try to answer them, because I don't want to hold anyone up, although everyone except for me is at home, comfortable, probably in bed or you know, sitting on the couch or whatever. But I don't want to hold people up, so if we get too many coming in that I can't answer them, then maybe we'll try to do it another time. We, we won't be able to do it next week, because, shameless plug, next week, we're doing drive-in church at Flora Fire Hall at 11.07 a.m. All of you are welcome to join us, uh, but everyone has to stay in their cars. All right, so here's, here's what happens. Paul, right, after dealing with and addressing some of their issues, all the things that he's discussed in uh, 1 Corinthians, first couple of chapters, then in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he starts to defend himself, not that he's done anything wrong. So if you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, because I want you to see I'm not making this stuff up, that this is really, thus saith the Lord, what the Bible says. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, I'm going to read from the Bible. Uh, if you have a Bible app, open your app. Maybe bookmark it if you plan on joining us regularly, because we're just walking through 1 Corinthians. Next week, uh, when we're at Drive-In Church, we probably won't walk through chapter 10. We'll probably just do a message that hopefully speaks to the hearts of, of, of everyone who shows up. But 
Here's the other thing. Again, when you read your Bible, you're reading chapters and you're reading breaks and you're reading titles. That wasn't in the original text. What Paul did was originally sit down and start writing a letter. So immediately after, he starts writing to them about expressing your freedom and not letting your freedom cause someone else to stumble. The very next thing that he writes in chapter 9, verse 1 is, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord, which he did? And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. He says, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And what happened was some people criticized Paul uh, because he wasn't one of the original 12. They also criticized him for another reason. I'll get to that in a minute. Because he wasn't one of the original 12. And even in the Bible, it talks about false apostles, those who tried to gain followership or they did it because they wanted uh, to elevate themselves, right? And if, if, if you can ever had this happen, you can probably sympathize. If you've ever been at work and you've been a part of a team or a group, and then all of a sudden, everyone's gelling, everyone's working great, and then they bring on a manager or a team leader or a supervisor or someone from outside the group, and everyone's like, whoa, where'd they come from? They're not, they're not one of us. And here, it gets even worse, gets even worse. Uh, hey, Donald, glad you joined us, and Renee, glad you joined us. It gets even worse because here's what happens in some congregations. Not, not most of ours. Uh, when people walk in, uh, they feel like, I just walked into high school because there's cliques. This group that meets over here, this group hanging out over here, this group hanging out over here, that group hanging out over here. And again, this is one of the things that Paul preached against. When he started his letter, he said, being of one mind. He talked about not following any man. He said, there are divisions among you and people forming cliques around certain preachers and teachers and small group leaders, and he said, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so people were criticizing Paul, right, uh, because they were saying, you aren't a real apostle. Now, uh, give me a side, sidebar for a minute. Uh, in the book of Acts, it talks about, you know, when they were looking for, okay, how do we replace Judas after Judas died? How do we find another apostle? And they gave um, specific requirements for an apostle. Right, so in Acts chapter 1, verse 21, it says, So one of the other men who have accompanied us apostles, I'm reading from the Amplified Version, during, here's the thing, during all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, from the baptism of John at the outset until the day when he was taken up from among us, one of these men must join with us and become a witness to testify to his resurrection. So here's, here's what he's saying. Here's the basis, right, Peter is saying this, for choosing an apostle. They had to be with us from the baptism of John. They had to be with us the whole time, and they're going to join us, and they must also be able to witness and testify, yeah, I saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, Paul gives us a little bit more in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, because this was an ongoing issue, and he's going to have to address it again in his next letter. He says, indeed, the signs that indicate a genuine apostle were performed among you fully and most patiently in miracles and wonders and mighty works. So he says, not only is it the fact that, hey, um, with, with you at time, he says the signs from the apostle, one of the things that signs uh, guarantees that I'm an apostle is the fact that I saw the resurrected Jesus, because he said, didn't I see the Lord Jesus? 
as we just read. But he also says, hey, I did miracles and wonders amongst you. And when we started uh, talking about the, the book of 1 Corinthians, one of those miracles and wonders was the revelation that he brought with power to the people, especially the Jewish people that were meeting in the synagogues. Because he was able to show them, the Jewish people were like, we have in the Old Testament, they didn't have a book like this, in the Old Testament, wasn't called the Old Testament, but we have all these things that say the Messiah will do this. And he was able to come and say, hey, you know where it says the Messiah is going to be? Jesus did that. He was able to come and say, hey, you know where it said the Messiah will be this way? Jesus did that. And hey, you know where it says the Messiah will die, be buried, and then be raised from the dead? Jesus did that. So he had this revelation. He had the power. Uh, he did miracles. And here's the thing. Now, this is me this is speculation. This is not, I can't point to this in the scripture. But one of the reasons why I think God was able to say, hey, Paul, I want you to be an apostle is because Paul was around. He wasn't a disciple, but he was around during the time that Jesus was doing his ministry. Paul was a Pharisee. He was one of the people opposed. He was probably one of the most book-learned people on the Old Testament, and he was opposed to the things that Jesus was doing, which is why he was there when Stephen was stoned, which is why after uh, John and Peter were beaten and told not to teach anymore, and they went out and continued to teach, that's why Paul went and said, we got to start throwing these people in the jail because they're violating the order. So Paul was there. He just wasn't with Jesus. He knew of what Jesus was doing. But he was also the only one most equipped to take the Old Testament and through the revelation of God, take it to its New Testament fulfillment and say, look what Jesus did. And I think that's why God called him to be an apostle. But then he continues in verse 3. He says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment of me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Cephas is Peter. He says, or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Now, uh, there was a, uh, a way that things worked in their culture where uh, periodically what would happen is there were a lot of people, rich people, who would throw parties and they would have philosophers come and do like a TED talk. So if I were a rich, famous person, I would invite my rich, famous people over. Then when I would have a philosopher come, I'd pay them to do a TED talk. They had, uh, the philosophers had people who supported them financially. And one of the criticisms of Paul was, hey, you don't have that big financial backing. So your message isn't valid. And it's one of the criticisms we see in the church today. People will look. Now, I got to be perfectly honest. We are probably one of the smallest churches in the Jefferson Hills area. Don't have a problem with that. But people will look at small churches and say, even though that pastor preaches his heart out, Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled preaching, uh, all the things that you would expect that God wants, they'll look and say, and I've had people say this to me, well, that's not shiny new, and there's not a lot of people there, so I'm going to go somewhere else where there's lots of people, it's shiny, it's new, there's lights everywhere, the stage is filled with performers, they have a 20-person choir and, and, and all that stuff. And that's a preference, but that doesn't mean that the small church pastor, who's the only singer, but is sharing the word of God, 
And God has given him through his spirit revelation of his word for the people of God. That doesn't mean they're not valid. And that was one of the criticisms they had of Paul. You don't have that big financial support. One of the other criticisms they had was, hey, um, you're uh, what they call bivocational. So Paul spends the next uh, half of the chapter kind of justifying why he doesn't take money but also saying it is okay to take money. This is a big bone of contention for many people in the church. Uh, so let me, um, let me share this quickly, right? It is okay for a pastor to be bivocational, meaning they work for a living and they preach on Sunday. I know a lot of people, pastors, friends who do that. It is okay for a pastor to only get a small amount of money because that's all the church can pay. That's okay. It is also okay if a pastor is leading a ministry of hundreds or thousands of people that do like hundreds of things out in the community, it's okay for them to get a six-figure income as long as they are doing the six-figure work. And I know a lot of people don't agree with that. But if the guy who does nothing except say, how can we sell more Coca-Cola is getting millions, then I think the guy that's saying, we need three ministries that are going to feed people downtown, and I was a part of a, uh, on the board, of a church in Virginia, uh, like 3,000 people, uh, where we had multi-million dollar budget. And so, yeah, the pastor had a six-figure income because we had ministries going downtown that were feeding people downtown. Uh, We had small groups out in the community. We had clothing, uh, uh, things providing clothes for people. We were sending people overseas to go dig wells and to do all that. And the guy who's leading all that is working just as hard as the guy that say, how do we sell more Coca-Cola? Right? So I don't have a problem with, and I hope the people of God don't have a problem with, pastors that get a lot of money as long as they're doing a lot of work. It shouldn't break the bank of the people of God to pay the pastor. But at the same time, uh, the people that are like 20, 30, 40 people, but they can't afford to pay a full-time pastor, they still deserve to be a part of a congregation and to have a pastor over them, leading them, guiding them uh, spiritually, uh, revealing God's word to them and equipping them to be the church. And I hope that, uh, hope everyone can see that and that's not a bone of contention. If it is, read through the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 19 because Paul goes on talking about that. But then he says this in verse 17, he says, if I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. Like if he's receiving a paycheck, uh, he's being paid to do a job. And if he's preaching, then he is doing what he's being paid to do. But in verse 18, he says this, what then is my reward? If I do it voluntarily, what then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge. And so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Pastors have a right to be paid, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with pastors who say, and I, I, I did this, when we went into lockdown mode, contacted our board, said, hey, stop my pay, which is not a lot anyway, uh, stop my pay, because we are a small church, uh, to make sure that we can pay you know, the custodian, to make sure that we can uh, continue to pay the missionaries, to make sure that we can continue to pay the bills. That was the, the first thing, is to make sure that everything else can get paid, right? He says, verse 19, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And here's the heart that most pastors have that I want to I uh, 
get across to you. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So yeah, to those who don't have the law, to the seekers and the unbelievers, he says, I'm going to become like them, but realize I'm still a Christian, so there's certain things I can't do. You know, I might head to the club with you. I'm not going to club with you. I might drive you and drop you off. I might do certain things that people say, whoa, why are you doing that? But I'm still a Christian, but I'm going to be okay hanging with non-Christians. And I get this a lot, especially, and let me share this, because I get a lot of I don't want to say critiques. That's the nice way to say it. Like, for example, people have asked, how come you're standing in a T-shirt that says practice safe sex instead of a shirt and a tie and a jacket, even though we're live streaming, you're still in God's house, you know? And that's because just like you're dressed at home comfortably in what you wear, I dress and preach comfortably in what I wear, Right? If I go to a place where, and I've done this, where I've had to speak at events where it's a more formal setting, then I dress formally. But I've also done this, gone to places where it's an event where, you know, it's a more casual setting, then I dress casually. And we've got to stop criticizing one another and judging one another, especially the pastors who all they're trying to do is just share that here is what God has called me to do, to love on you as the church, to equip you as the church, to share and show the gospel to those in our community and to invite them to be recipients of Christ's love. Right? That's the focus that he does. And even, I'll finish with this, he says, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. And to many people, to many pastors, that is the most important thing, is doing whatever it takes, whatever the cost, whatever it takes, up and across to the line of, yeah, I'm not going to step over the line and sin, but I'm going to go as far as I can up to that line in order to share the gospel, in order to preach to people, in order to equip people to be the church, in order to let them know, the people in our communities that are seeking to know, is God real? Does God exist? To let them know that, yes, there is a God who loves you like crazy. So much so that he defied the laws of science, sent his son to step into time, lived his life as a man, and then died, and was buried, and was raised from the ground and resurrected on the third day to show and to prove that he exists and his love for us is real. And that's what we as pastors do. And I'll share this. Um, if you have questions, uh, do this now. If you have questions, uh, share some of the questions, again, that you have, some of the things that you've been thinking about, maybe some of the questions that you've always wanted to ask. Share those in the comments. Uh, and I'm going to share just the most common question that not just me, that most pastors get. And again, if we don't get any questions, you don't ask any questions, that's okay. Then we'll pray, we'll give God the glory, and we'll, we'll move on to the rest of our Sunday because I do have another D&D uh, game to get to. But if you have questions, I want to make sure that we get those answered. So if you have questions, uh, share them in the comments. The most common question, and maybe you've heard somebody ask this, that people ask, especially Skeptics and seekers, I don't mean skeptic in another way, in a negative way, but just people who are skeptical about Christianity. One of the most common questions that they ask is, 
is there evidence for God? Has anyone ever heard, heard, heard that question, heard someone ask, is there evidence for God? Yeah, because what happens is people are trying to really evaluate, you know, does God exist? Especially now during this pandemic, there are a lot of people that are looking at, you know, um, what really happens when you die? Because death is a more real possibility, maybe for them or maybe for their loved ones. So the most common question is, is there evidence for God? And the reality is, yes, there is. The problem when people ask that question is, They're asking, hey, pastor, point me to this one thing that's going to prove that God exists. And we can't do that. It's impossible to do that. Some pastor tells you they can do that. I'm going to submit that they're lying to you because we can't do that. What we can do, right, is we can point you to evidence because evidence literally means information or data that supports the premise that this said thing is actually true and real. That's what what it means. So... um, When someone uh, says, hey, can you show me evidence that God is real? Uh, What I can tell them is, yes, I have evidence. I'm not going to point you to one thing, but I have evidence, meaning pieces of information that by themselves, you may say that doesn't prove God is real. No, it doesn't. But evidence is pieces of information that will add up. And when you put them together, just prove undeniably that God exists. Okay, so, um, okay, a lot of people watching, no one's asking questions, that's okay though. So, just want to be clear, if you do have questions, or or you do have information, uh, or excuse me, questions that you want to ask, feel free to message me, ask your pastor, most pastors really want people to understand the Bible better. I just had a conversation with someone about, um, how do I phrase this, uh, the question of which parts of the Bible should be taken literally. Has anyone ever had that question? Just put yes in the comments if you ever had that question. Which parts of the Bible should be taken literally? And my, and my response was that's not the right question. Uh, the, the right question is, is the entire Bible true? Right? Is all of this true? Yes, all of this is true. But in this Bible... Although all of it is true, there are some parts that are instructive, meaning for the people at that time that was written and for us, here are the instructions for you to live your life in a God-honoring way. We are supposed to follow it. Some parts are really merely historical, meaning we are supposed to look and say, oh, that's what happened in history, one, so we know the consequences, two, so we know what God can do, right? But they're not meant for us to repeat Nowhere in the Bible does God tell us to go stand in front of a river and wait for him to part it so we can walk across. But we are supposed to know historically what happened and what God is able to do. And then there are some parts that are more poetic, right? When you look through the Psalms, a lot of them are poetic. And so a lot of people, um, when I read passages that say like the, the trees cried, In my mind, I'm not thinking, okay, the Bible's not true because it's scientifically impossible for the trees to cry. I know that is not to be taken literally, although in that passage, the psalmist is writing about an actual truth, the emotion that they were feeling around an event. So that's that's the thing that pastors struggle with, is trying to take the time to answer the questions and get information across to you.
Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. It looks like no one has any questions. I just don't want to close out if no one has any questions. Uh, but here's what I want to do. I want to pray, and uh, then we will just move on with the rest of our Sunday. So God, we thank you so much again for the privilege we have to gather, even though we are separated uh, by walls and by homes and by miles. We give you all the glory that we still are your people, the church, get the ability to gather. And we are so grateful that in your word, in, in Hebrews, it says that we don't have to worry about um, coming to you in a certain building, in a certain place, or in a certain way. But that where two or three or more are gathered, that we are in your presence and can worship you just as you are. God, we pray that your hand would be, again, as always, with all of the medical workers who are fighting this pandemic. Uh, we pray that your hand would be with all the businesses, the small businesses that are and, uh, struggling to make ends meet. And we pray and lift up all of the families to you, the ones that are hurting economically and all of the ones who are hurting because they lost loved ones during this time. God, we pray that you would be with all of the governments, uh, the federal government, the president, the vice president, the task force. We pray that you would be with all of the federal senators and all of the uh, federal uh, congressmen. But we also pray that you would be with those on the state level as well. All of the governors and all of their staff and all of the uh, state representatives. We pray that you would be with all the local municipalities struggling to make ends meet and to take care of their communities. But God, and we pray specifically today, based on this message, that your people would be in prayer for the pastors over local congregations. Be with Don Thompson as he leads uh, Bible, Tempest, uh, Bible Baptist Temple. Be with the, the congregations in, in, in Elizabeth. Uh, be with the congregations in West Mifflin. Be with those pastors as they seek to meet the needs of the people in their communities and to lift you up and to exalt your name and to answer questions and to show to those who are seeking to know if you are real that there is a very real God who loves them unconditionally. God, give us the wisdom to speak the words that you want us to speak. Give us the leadership ability to lead during these harsh and, and unprecedented times. Give us the compassion that we as pastors need to respond to and reach out to and be there for every person who needs to know that you are real. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. 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 All right, thank you guys. Uh, pray that you have an awesome rest of your Sunday. Uh, and if you are able, join us next Sunday. If you're local in the Jefferson Hills area, uh, join us at Flora Fire Hall next Sunday, 11.07 a.m. for our drive-in church. Uh, we'll have our praise team there, social distancing, of course. Everyone must stay in their cars. It will not be live streamed, but what we will do is we'll record it, and then we'll post it later that night. And if you're not able to join us for that, then feel free. We ask you to feel free to join us for... Um, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night for our live stream prayer, and also on Tuesday night for a video chat Bible study. Pray that you have an awesome rest of your Sunday. Thank you guys so much for joining us. God bless, and see you all next week. <laughs>